for me, if I was to give you a very short and simplistic definition of respectful disruption, it's unity over division. Unity over division. And so this approach is really aimed to challenge and transform some of those prevailing norms that we see, especially in the realms of education. It's about questioning, contesting, reshaping the status quo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Strides Inaugural Podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I'm so excited about today's episode. Today, we'll be talking about addressing disparities in international education through the lens of global respectful disruption. I am thrilled to welcome my friend, Christina Thompson, onto the podcast. Chris is a distinguished figure in global education, justice, and the practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And while Chris is a serious person engaged in serious work, she's also a lot of fun, too. A longtime international educator, Chris founded the Compere Global Education Network a few years ago, like Chris herself, Compere's mission is to create a more equitable world by respectfully disrupting inequitable systems and practices through innovative educational training, guided community discussion, personal development, and resources. In addition to her work with Compere, Chris is also the founder of the annual Global Respectful Disruption Summit, organized in partnership with GoAbroad.com. This event serves as a platform for thought leaders from all over the world to discuss and promote innovative strategies for respectful disruption in various fields. I can't wait to pick Chris's brain about the work she's doing and how we can all take steps to address inequity in global education by being respectfully disruptive to the status quo. Stay tuned, you do not wanna miss this episode. Christina Thompson, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. To begin, I'd love for you to give us a brief overview of your professional journey and what you are up to these days in your current role. So I started out as a very unassuming work-study student. I always like to tell this story because I think it's important for folks to know that in the beginning of this international education field, a lot of us just kind of fell into this. And so I was just looking through the student ads for positions, for work-study positions, and saw one in the International Programs Office at UNC Greensboro. And that's where my international educator journey began. I was mentored there. Um, I had lots of great, uh, those who took the time to explain things to me because the concept of study abroad was completely new to me. It's something that I did not know that was even possible for me as a college student. And through that work study position and experience working with international students, I moved into a more permanent role with the UNC Exchange Program with the state of North Carolina, where I work with all 16 campuses in the state of North Carolina, providing them with study abroad opportunities. And then later on, you know, went to grad school in Germany, which really opened my eyes. So I'm a very non-traditional trajectory educator because I actually studied abroad in grad school. So I had my first job before I actually studied in the field. Uh, while I was in Germany, I learned a lot about myself and doing research on the African diaspora and Caribbean with, you know, a European lens really kind of opened my eyes to my own identity. And so when I came back to the United States, I really wanted to do something that was impactful and that really, you know, led me to drive to my mission to get more access to open this up to more students who look like me. And so that's where kind of my other journey began. I became, uh, I worked as the director of Susquehanna University um, after I finished grad school. 
And there I travel with my students to Cyprus, London, the Gambia, and many other places. And through those experiences, it just expanded my view um, and really you know, taught me that there is an equitable way of doing this because at Susquehanna, we actually had a go abroad requirement that allowed all students to have a cross-cultural experience before graduation. So again, you know, um, I was spearheading an initiative that really wasn't very widely known or done in our field. And I think they kind of opened up the innovation box for me to like, huh, maybe there's more opportunity for a little bit more of a disruption in a positive way in our field to really rethink how we're approaching things. So fast forward to now, found the compare, as you said, currently also working as a full-time corporate consultant too in the field of international education and also in the field of global diversity, equity, and inclusion. For our listeners who are not yet familiar, Chris, I'd love for you to tell us a bit more about Compare, its mission, and what excites you most about your engagement in this organization that you founded. Thank you. Yes. So Compare, you know, was founded by me, but I always like to give credit where credit is due. This actually was uh, part of a think tank of a small group of international educators. Daniel Diaz, Dr. Olivia Jones, and Adriana Smith all helped to build kind of this concept that we were thinking. So after the murder of George Floyd, we all came together and we were like, we really want to do something different. And I told them, I'm completely open. You know, I've always wanted to start you know, an organization that really fostered more accessibility and what would that look like? And together we you know, kind of started to work on even the wording of the organization, the mission of the organization. So I got to give them credit for all of their contributions. But Compare's mission is to create a more equitable world by respectfully disrupting inequitable systems and practices. And through this, we have a multi-pronged approach. It includes educational training, community discussions, uh, personal development, and, and resource provisions. And so through this kind of multi-pronged approach, we hope that we're able to open up people's minds to different ways of being and different approaches that we have long taken in our field that haven't necessarily moved the needle and made it more inclusive for those with marginalized identities. So that's a quick version of what Compare is like. What excites me about Compare is I really think we have created a really unique space. It started with our Global Respectful Disruption webinar series that ended up getting some international recognition through the PI Awards last year. But it was really me gathering people that I knew in the field that maybe, you know, definitely those who had, you know, some accolades in the field, but definitely didn't have an uncensored space to speak and share their viewpoints. So it kind of was the basis of Compare was to have an uncensored space for marginalized voices to say it how they really feel. And that webinar series involved, really kind of started the path towards the Global Respectful Disruption Summit that you know about as well. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you, Chris, for sharing that. You touched on this a bit already, but Compare was founded in response to a disparity in global education. What does respectful disruption mean to you and how does it relate to your dissertation and research? When I think about respectful disruption, I think I better address the elephant in the room, which most people think of disruption as a bad thing. They are like, you know, whenever I say respectful disruption, the initial response that I get is, ooh, what are you trying to do here? Like, are you trying to, you know, what are you, how, what's your approach? And I always say, well, for me, if I was to give you a very short and simplistic uh, definition of respectful disruption, it's unity over division. Unity over division. And so this approach is really aims to challenge and transform some of those prevailing norms that we see, especially in the realms of education. It's about questioning, contesting, 
reshaping the status quo. And the term respectful emphasizes the importance of re- re- uh, maintaining respect and empathy throughout this whole process of disruption, which, you know, I think is a, a fairly, uh, not a new approach, but I would say it's a different approach. And especially in our field, when we tend to lean more into process and logistics and not so much into questioning what's actually existing. And so my dissertation research is really based on this concept and I'm developing a framework that really helps people to walk through these different steps of questioning and how they can have a more actionable outcome from those questions and actually also how to dispel conflict that may arise from those questions. And, you know, it really urges us to re-examine our biases, especially those that exist within some of the systemic systems of bias and some of those practices that might be instructing us from having genuine conversations about this. One of Compare's initiatives is the Global Respectful Disruption Summit, as you mentioned previously. To me, this is a truly innovative initiative and brings folks together for critical conversations. We'd love to hear more from you about the summit. What would you like to share with our listeners? Yeah, so this is my passion project, I should preface and say, because, you know, this was really an idea that came to life. And it's so amazing when those things happen in that way. When I was kind of pitching around this idea of a Global Respectful Disruption Summit, I, you know, started to have some conversations with Kata Patterson from GoAbroad.com. And she also agreed in this vision of creating a space where it was uncensored, was real talk, and it really focused on, you know, underrepresented voices in this field. And so Compare and Go Abroad have partnered and uh, for the last to now coming up on our third year in 2024, we're planning to do it again, uh, to, to create this space for like-minded individuals to come together for learning and discussion in an uncensored space. And so when I say uncensored, I really mean that. We do follow that pedagogy of no censorship. We do not change the session proposal titles. We do not change any part of the session proposal description. We do not police the things that the people can or cannot say during their session. So all of those elements has just created a really new and interesting energy around these types of discussions that I actually personally haven't seen at any conferences I've been a part of. And then many of our participants in this summit also have said similarly. That's great. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Chris, could you help us unpack respectful disruption in terms of how education abroad professionals can bring this lens to their practice? Yeah, so I think that I always say, you know, when you're starting with the practice of respectful disruption, uh, one of the skills that you can build is questioning the status quo in a respectful way, of course. And so, for example, one of the things that I've done in my past career is we had a process where we asked every single student to complete um, a faculty recommendation, for example. And so what I did is I asked my dean at the time, um, can you tell me a little bit more about the reasons why we're requesting this faculty recommendation? Actually, he didn't have a response. He was like, I think it's just the way we've always done it. And so I said, wow, wouldn't that be cool if we actually considered, you know, ask the faculty if they like it too? And the faculty did not. They were getting over 200 of requests from students to fill out these faculty recommendations while our partners were like, well, for us, doesn't really matter that much because, you know, we know you already vet your students. So we ended up changing that practice. So it all starts with a question, you know. So I would say if you're really wanting to get started on this practice of respectful disruption, start by looking at the practices that you've always had and then question the reasons for why you've had them. And, you know, I would say within the context of global education, 
it's important that we recognize, you know, the reasons why probably we haven't been able to move the needle as much, but the reasons why a participation of uh, marginalized students, particularly when it comes to racial differences, hasn't moved so much is because we haven't recognized some of those systemic barriers that are in place. When I say systemic, I mean systematic barriers, not necessarily people. So I think the people in our field are really like interested in diversity. They want to see more participation. But we're still working within a system that wasn't created to be inclusive down to the places that we go and the narratives that we highlight and the voices that we lift. So those are all the elements to consider when you're thinking about starting this practice. You know, I love what you said about the letter of recommendation. You know, the fact for so many years, that was a a normal component of a study abroad application. But, you know, folks like yourself started asking why. And, you know, that I began to realize myself a few years ago that perhaps it's an unnecessary barrier that we don't actually need. Mm-hmm. So I love that you brought that up. And in that same vein, Christina, what are some things that we can keep in mind and what are some actions to support equitable practices that anyone in our field can take in their day-to-day work? You know, when it comes to equitable practices, you know, I think it going back to the questioning part of things, but, you know, I think it's also looking at the root cause of the issue. I'll give you a slight preview to my dissertation, but the first the first step uh, in the framework of respectful disruption is, is to uh, illuminate the landscape. Um, and so I, you know, and to do that, you shine light on everything from the top to the bottom, from the things that you can see all the way down to the root. And so I think that it's important to explore some of the root causes of the reason why some of these systematic barriers continue to exist. And so I would say, you know, educating yourself is a good first step. Expanding your mindset, looking at some of the maybe more non-traditional writings. Um, I'm, of course, you know, again, many of many here who might be listening are familiar with Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde, but I've also, you know, read other writings by Martin Luther King, who he wrote later in life, that actually surprised me. And these are not, you know, particular writings that a lot of people know about. One of my favorite quotes by Martin Luther King that is not said as much is, unity never meant uniformity. He was saying that the concept around unity never meant they were all the same. And I think we hear that a lot when we think about equality, but equity, as you mentioned, equitable practices about giving people what they need to be successful versus equality is giving everybody the same thing. So I think if we can have a unified approach, but recognizes that the differences that we have are okay, and it's healthy to have differences, then I think that's a first step. It's like a mixture of education, reflection, and also expanding your mindset to think outside of the the box. You know, I think it's safe to say that we are living in challenging and changing times here in the United States. Honestly, it could be a bit difficult to keep up with developments such as the DEI legislation uh, working its way through several states around the United States. And and understand the implications of what those developments mean for our work as international educators. What are some words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners around this topic? You know, as a practitioner, it can be very overwhelming and a little bit defeating to see legislation moving through the system as it is. I'm also a part of the queer community. And for me, you know, seeing the anti-trans and non uh, affirming care come through the system in this way. Hundreds of bills have been put forward over all, most of the states in the United States specifically. I'll speak to that. You know, it can be a little bit overwhelming and somewhat defeated, but I think what keeps me going is the recognition that 
There are many people that do not agree with this. I talk to them every day. And I am seeing a shift that's happening right now. So we're, of course, going to see a falling away of those organizations and corporations and businesses and institutions that saw diversity, equity, inclusion as a trend. And so we're seeing them kind of pull back. And that's something I expected. But what helps me and keeps me going is the those who are standing firm right now. We're also seeing another shift. Those who are actually saying, no, this is not what we're going to do. We're going to actually continue to hire. We're going to expand our DEI office. We're going to find more ways to expand our talent management systems to include more voices that are underrepresented. We're going to put more funding into this initiative that's going to help students to actually find global experiences. And so I think we are seeing a greater divide, but we're also seeing more work being done to promote and push this forward. So. I'm optimistic. I think that going back to that quote that I said, you know, unity over division, unity doesn't mean uniformity. All of those things I think can really help us create a space that supports those who have been marginalized in the dominant culture. I'm wondering if you have any advice for our colleagues, especially those who are education abroad leaders in states such as Florida, Texas, and I believe your home state of North Carolina, where these laws have already come into effect. How can we stay true to our values under such circumstances? Yeah, you know, the language around diversity, equity, inclusion changes every day. And I have to be completely transparent and say that I have spent a lot of time thinking about language. Because what we're seeing is people saying, oh, we don't want DEI and the word woke is now a bad word when they don't really understand the context and history behind the word. So I think that those who are opponents to DEI are really focused on language. And so we're seeing some shifts in language. I'm seeing new terminologies come up, you know, interwork, interdevelopmental work. And that's where the shifts are happening. And so I'm, I'm actually motivated by this challenge, actually. Um, I work with clients in Florida. I work with clients in Texas and in North Carolina. And the biggest thing that comes up in those sessions when they ask me, how can we keep doing this work? And my answer is just keep doing the work. But maybe the name changes. Maybe we think of a different, maybe we focus on some other elements that are also connected or parallel to this work, but we never stop the work. And that is something that has always been prevalent throughout civil rights. You know, when certain things were ostracized or certain words were banned, the work still continues. The labels and the, and the ways that we use them will always change and transform over time. Yeah, I know, I know a lot of colleagues in, in the states that you mentioned that are really benefit from what you just said. Like, no matter what the language is, the work continues. That's really wise. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. You and folks at Compare have done work to support many of us who identify as neurodivergent, BIPOC, and queer. What are some resources or examples of the good work you would like to lift up? Yeah, thank you for lifting it up because I'm also part of the neurodivergent community. And it's something that has taken me a really long time to say out loud because of some of those, you know, again, some of the biases that people personally hold and then some of those systematic barriers that are in place. And so, you know, I, you know, as coming from all of these different communities that you just mentioned, you know, think it's really important that you create um, a space of unity. And I'm not talking about creating separate spaces. This is what I think is a little bit different. Uh, we all come together and compare. We all bring our whole selves with us. Um, when someone asks me about you know, myself or my identity, I say I show up as a Black woman, a queer woman, a neurodivergent individual, and I'm a mom and many different... I, I, can, I bring all those identities forward simultaneously. 
I don't leave anything behind. So the way that we approach this with Compare is that we let people bring their whole selves to work. They don't have to bring just one identity to the table. They bring everything. And then we work really hard to make sure that we are centering them and decentering the dominant culture. And that's actually a very long practice. That's another podcast probably, but there is some really systematic things you can do to create a space. And I would say it's not a brave or a safe space. It's a space of unity, but it's also a space that decenters who always been centered. And I think that's a really interesting way to approach this work, especially as we're seeing these changing trends in diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, where we are very much so geared towards kind of dividing ourselves out. You know, you might have one group of one identity, another group of another identity, creating a safe space for themselves. There's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't help us move forward together. And it doesn't teach people who have long dominated these spaces, how to decenter themselves in a, in a very positive and practical and helpful way. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. You know, the work of amplifying voices, disrupting inequity, and increasing inclusion is of critical importance and must be ongoing in global education. As you think about these topics, what are some trends that you're seeing or where would you like to see more folks engage? As far as trends, I mentioned one, I alluded to one earlier that we're seeing kind of like the organizations that kind of jumped on the DEI train, as you want to call it, in the beginning when they knew it was trending and popular. And, you know, after the run of George Floyd, a lot of energy and money and funding went into diversity, equity, inclusion. So that's a trend. I think it's worth definitely noting that we are seeing some moving away from that. But then I don't think it was sustainable anyway because they were just in it for the trend that it was. And so when it wasn't popular anymore, they're going to go follow anyway. But I think that what I am seeing is some positive things. We're seeing some growing trends in the media. So I know a lot of people talk about what's not going right right now, but what is, there's some things that I was noticing. One is increased representation in the media. There's a growing trend of the more diverse representation in the media. And I think that's why we're seeing a pushback. You know, you're seeing folks like, what? We have an LGBTQ uh, show? Uh, yes. And we also have a show about those with different abilities. Dating is one of my favorite shows, Love on the Spectrum. Um, so we're seeing more representation in the media, and it just really gives me a lot of joy to see that. Many companies, as I mentioned, are not just about, you know going with the trend. They're actually implementing more diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives than ever before. Uh, social media platforms like Instagram, you know, and I think Twitter is now called X. Uh, I know some people don't like that, but, you know, and other ones, uh, TikTok, you know, are really helping to propel social justice movements in a new way that we've never seen before. On TikTok, you can have something that was posted 30 minutes ago, and it could be viral literally in 30 minutes or less. And it's something that is connected to issues around race, gender, equality, and so on. And then the last one I'll probably say, because there's a lot of things that are going on, I would say in social justice, you know, while it's not where I want it to be, I've been a, a staunch advocate of climate justice for many, many years. But recognizing, I think we're starting to now see some positive movement in the area where folks are starting to realize that climate change disproportionately impacts marginalized communities. And I just did a helpful resource with the form of education abroad. It's a checklist that you can actually go through and see, you know, if your programs, your global programs are including this lens to help educate our students on climate justice. So there's been a grassroots push for environmental justice to ensure that all communities have equal protection for from environmental hazards. So those are some positives. 
Um, but I think there are some negatives too. <laughs> Obviously, you've talked about the legislation. I think that complacency is our biggest barrier right now. Folks are complacent. And I think maybe it's because they feel like there's nothing that they can do. But I want to encourage people to not think about the deficit of that particular situation that we're in. Don't think about what you can't do, but think about what you can do. Something very, very small, which is like showing up to your library to advocate for more resources for our students could help. Or really spending more time with students with marginalized identities to understand and share your stories as well. I think there's a lot that we can do on the individual level. And sometimes when we focus so much on the systemic level, it becomes big and overwhelming. We feel like there's nothing that we can do, but focus on what you can do. And that's part of the growth mindset that I try to have for myself as well. As is almost always the case when you and I get together, this conversation is about big ideas. And these topics can seem overwhelming. What are some pro tips you have to help our listeners build allyship and find ways to intentionally take actions that affect positive change in their work? Speaking of allyship, I think it's important to acknowledge a couple of different things. One is allyship is a, it's a, um, it's a verb, not a noun. So it's, you have to do something to ally. And they're all different types of allies. And I think one thing that somebody can actually do is just to note their positionality. Ask yourself, you know, um, in this particular situation, am I, you know, someone that's observing things? Am I just looking and watching things happen? And, and actually, they're not um, speaking against what's happening or for. They're just watching it. That's one of the biggest things I've seen. So ask yourself, am I just observing this or, you know, am I more of a performer? Am I just doing a few small things, but they don't really have any real meaningful impact? Or am I an actual ally? An ally is someone who is actively engaging with the community, working with the community, letting that community lead, letting that community take charge, and they're stepping back and decentering themselves and asking them, what can I do to support you? That's a true ally. So I think that folks can do, they can start with a little bit of self-reflection. Where do I, where am I positioned in this? And yes, it is overwhelming. I don't want to undermine that fact because I feel it too. But I think, you know, going back to that spheres of influence that we have, we can control ourselves and maybe we control maybe the outside of that might be our community, the places that we work. Then the spheres of influence get a little bit more dissipated as it moves out. So think about all the things that you can do. Going back to what I said earlier when I mentioned, instead of focusing on what you can't do, well, I can't change this application process, I can't you know, get more students to go abroad. So well, what can I do? Ask yourself, what can I do? I love it. Chris, I understand you also do consulting with a firm called Be Equitable. And I wanna shine a light on this mm -hmm. aspect of your professional portfolio as well. Tell us a little bit about your work with them. Absolutely. Be Equitable is a wonderful organization. Um, it's been around in the, in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion for 30 years. It was formerly Cook Ross. I joined this team last year um, because I was really interested by their core values, values that drive. And I'll give you a couple. Uh, one of my favorite values that they have is believe it can be done. And so, you know, this is a DEI practitioner organization, but it's so important that we believe that the change can happen. Another one of our core values is together we go far. 
And so it's about focusing on unity. That's so much aligned with my own personal values and the values that I have with Compare. And so Be Equitable actually works with some of the largest um, institutions and, and corporations and businesses and universities from all over the world. Um, I've been privileged to work with large banks, uh, large educational institutions since starting my role there. And it's really helped me to learn a lot more about my own practice as well about meeting people where they are because everyone's on a different part of their DEI journey. And so through this position that I'm in, I'm able to make a very large impact. Like the other day I did a talk to a large bank with over 200 people. And at the end of that session, just people stuck around. They wanted to ask questions. They wanted to learn more about what they could specifically do as individuals. So I am really focused on that individual growth, that inner work. And my world at Be Equitable really allows me to have a lot of creativity and innovation in doing that. Chris, it's so clear to me that you put a lot of heart into your work. What is a change you'd like to see in the world? Ooh, good question. So um, a change I like to see in the world is I'd like folks to take more accountability of their own actions and behaviors. You know, when you're in a system, like I mentioned, a system that we all acknowledge the, the systemic oppression that happens, especially within the United States, but it's, it's global. There's many other systems. I think we need to focus on our self and our self-assessment and our own accountability in that way. And so I would love to see more of that. I would love to see more individuals taking the charge, educating themselves, um, asking themselves, what can I do as an individual on a micro level? whether it comes to racial justice, social justice, or climate justice. Think about the impact of your actions on those communities that disproportionately hold a lot of that weight in our community as well. So, I mean, I know I'm saying this question a lot, but what can I do specifically on a molecular, on a micro level? And before we wrap up here, Chris, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? Well, I'll just give a, if I could give a shameless plug for the Global Respectful Disruption Summit. Our call for proposals is open on our website, www.globalrdsummit.com. We want to hear from everyone. If there's a proposal or an idea or a thought that you'd like to bring forward that amplifies the voices of the marginalized or amplifies the work that we do in global education, we would love to hear from you. All presenters that present at our summit are not charged. They get a complimentary registration so they can stay for the entire day. So for us, it's not about the money. It's really about creating this inclusive space of community for more dialogue and unity. You heard it here first, folks. Thank you, Chris. And for my final question to you, my friend, I'd like to ask you this. As you think about education abroad in 2023, what makes you hopeful? I am hopeful that this shift that we're seeing is really going to create a space for new and innovative ideas. So I think that we're on the precipice of something big. I feel optimistic about it. And I think that all the changes that we're seeing is really pushing people to question things more, which is one of the first parameters of respectful disruption. And through that questioning, I think we're gonna see a shift and it's gonna be a positive shift towards equity, towards belonging and towards unity. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end it than right there. Christina Thompson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the space. Anytime. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. 
I'm your host, Zach McInnes, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelcher and Sarah Kachuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives for Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together. <laughs>